It's me against the music. It's just me. Everyone, I would like to welcome you back to the Original Doll Iconography. I'm your host, James Rodriguez. On the Original Doll, I unpackage music with the people who create it. And at the same time, we give back to charity. For more information, join me on Instagram. Big shout out to my Patreon supporters. You all rock. And as with everything with the Original Doll, any audio recording, ripping, stealing is strictly prohibited in every country in the world. So if you see anything leaked, please report it. Now, what's been amazing is we have returning guest, Steve Lunch, who has become a fixture on the show because He's been involved in everything, which is amazing. Steve, thank you so much for coming back and, and going through this torture. <laughs> Glad to be back, James. Today, I mean, right now, we've had so many people that were sending in messages about how they loved us talking about the In The Zone singles, the the trio of them, about which one was the lead single, not lead single. And I said we were talking about Me Against The Music next because this song had a strange evolution. First and foremost, it was the lead single. Second of all, it was Britney Spears on a single featuring somebody and somebody who was the icon for the generation before, for our generation. So can we rewind back and talk about just kind of the production of it? How did this song come to be? Who were those key players in creating this song? First of all, I think we ought to tell your listeners that, that when it's out, if it's not already out, which I think it might be, um, to check out the outrageous versus toxic versus me against the music episode, because that gives a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff in there about the whole scenario surrounding those three songs at the, at the launch of, uh, of In The Zone. So I highly recommend that episode. So let's rewind back. Who were those kind of key players in this? Who's the production team? And let's talk about the evolution of it because it wasn't as simple as we made the track that day, we recorded that day, and it was a contender right away as lead single, right away. Things happened. So let's right. rewind back. I find it difficult all these, you know, years later to remember exactly the order of the producers and the songs in the initial stages, you know, that I put together for, for this album. Um, but I do know that the the key part of it, I think, like the meat and bones of this thing happened when when Red Zone became involved. Red Zone is um, the production company and studio of Tricky Stewart. Um, a producer and writer out of Atlanta, Georgia. And he has a team of people. He has writers with him and, uh, and track people, although he does most of the tracks himself. And, um, and he has his studios there and, you know, really smart together guy. And he came to, uh, to the offices up in New York. And I can't remember exactly what the premise for it was, but we sat down and we had this meeting and I found him to be really impressive and um, really you know, some producers you can't work with and you just know it from the moment they sit down in the chair. They mm -hmm. just, they kind of got their own agenda and it doesn't matter what you say. They're not really listening. They just do what they do. And it's like, you know, take it or leave it type of thing. And I usually leave it in those situations because I, you know, I, I just don't have the patience to put up with uh, with people who have their own agendas. There's enough of that going around anyway. So 
I'm after people who I can work with and who want to work with me and who are talented and elastic enough to be able to change styles or to, or to um, switch gears or to take direction or to be confident enough that they've got the right direction anyway and tell you so. All these elements you're looking for in a producer. But mainly, I guess, you're looking for that talent element. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, what what Tricky offered, he'd already had, you know, you know, a pretty decent track record in, in R&B, pop R&B. Mm-hmm. But, but not really in the pure pop music of the sync Britney Spears, the Backstreet Boys, that, that sort of genre. He had not really had his, uh, a lot of um, efforts in that area. So, but I just had a feeling um, about the guy. And uh, so basically what I did, I, I arranged for them to come up, him and his crew, to come up to New York. And we put them up <clears throat> in New York for a week or something, I think initially, I can't remember exactly, to work with Britney. We got Britney in and they worked in Battery Studios, which is the studio that that Jive Records owned on West 25th Street, 125, I think, or 125 West <laughs> 25th Street, where I used to work. It was, um, I think, on the seventh floor, if I remember rightly. Um, so we had you know, a bunch of rooms, studio rooms in there. So we booked them into the main room and um, and we just went for it. Hopping out for a second to kind of give you a little bit more insight into the synergy between Britney Spears and Red Zone. Over the years, Tricky has given different interviews, so has Penelope Magnet. And what Red Zone said was they presented a song to Britney called Pop Culture Or, and she didn't like it. So after that, they went out and got to know Britney. And so many of the early songwriters, producers who worked with Britney talked about part of being able to work with Britney is getting that connection, feeling her out, seeing what it is like to be in her shoes, and also things she would say and things she wouldn't say. After hanging out, Red Zone created Me Against the Music. Tricky came up with the track, and Penelope Magnet came up with the melody on a piano and wrote the lyrics. Well, and what was great about this is, leading up to this album, the when we get rid of the, the Swedish producers who were not a part of this album, Correct. the last kind of core group, production group that you had was like KNS, who were involved in some right. of the tracks for In the Zone. Right, yeah. When you mentioned KNS... Because mm-hmm. I hate a mention of KNS like uh, slipping into the conversation without me praising them, because <laughs> um, you know the, they were an integral part of the um, of the uh, the Britney album, and as you say, of, of In the Zone too. So when I say that uh, Red Zone were like the meat and potatoes, like a, of of the In the Zone album, I don't mean to to lessen or to dilute the input of KNS because they were always there for me. And you talk about people who. I was able to work with on every level. They were able to change styles at the at the drop of a hat. It would go from one album to another album, and they would try this style. They would try that style. They'd do like a a little teenage white boy rap with Darren Carter, you know. And then they'd do these great songs with Britney. It's you know they were very flexible like that. And uh, although flexible, the word flexible and Joshua Schwartz in the same sentence <laughs> don't seem to go together too well. But uh, let's go with it for now. I love it. And everyone, check out those interviews with Joshua. It's yes, he's hysterical. And what's great too is that he talked about how you were the A and R guy who knew exactly like you weren't like, oh, I'm trying to be your best friend. This it's like this doesn't work. Try it this way. That you came in, but also that the genius in what you did is you also had the musician 
hat on as well, that it wasn't somebody who's just a numbers, let's look this way, that you knew exactly when something wasn't right, this is what needs to shift, that you well, can speak to the them as musicians. That's the only reason they listen to me. You know, most of the producers I worked with, to be honest, and writers, it's the only reason they gave me the time of day. It's not because I was an A&R person, because A&R people, you know, as I found out when I was a writer, like don't really command much respect in their own right, just with the title. It's not like mm -hmm. a a title where people go, ooh, hey, an Aga. You know, it's it's like, you know, you have to kind of earn the respect of the people you work with. Um, and what I found that my background gave me was not just being able to identify maybe problems in a in a in a track or a song or what might be improved upon or what should be um highlighted more and what shouldn't be highlighted, what should be edited out. Not only that, but it was in the my ability to actually sort of explain how to do it, to explain it to them in their in mm. in a language that they understood. This wasn't like uh an AR person. I wasn't like an AR person who who didn't understand music terminology. So mm -hmm. in which case when those people come into a room with writers or producers, I mean this is like an example. They say, you know that keyboard sounds kind of Playboy from the sixties or it's it's kind of purple. You know, can we make it more yellow? You know, and and writers and producers go, what the is he talking about you know mm -hmm. like they want to work with the person but they have no idea what they're talking about well mm -hmm. i'll come in and i'll say well maybe that keyboard shouldn't be a Rhodes. maybe it should be a, a wurlitzer something with a, a little bit more of an attack to it or you know or maybe it should be a pad like a lot you, you know like i would come in with with specific uh ideas and uh suggestions and terminology that they understood so it's like a shorthand that musicians have and i think if you don't have that shorthand it's like it's like having a conversation in text all the time as opposed to a face-to-face -face conversation. You know, this mm -hmm. it's it's a different thing altogether. It takes a lot longer by text, you know. It was great that there was this new production team that came in and their fingerprints are all over this, this album really. There's so many great songs. They were a part of so many different ones. And I think that it elevated where Britney was going, because at the time I went through all those old newspaper articles, mm -hmm. Britney's working on a new, and some of them would get it wrong, like new country ballad album and others yeah, got it more right. Yeah, we She's never going did that this, one. <laughs> no. Or, or, others... as, or as the um, conspiracy theorists would have you believe, she recorded it and Jive Records turned it down, right? See, and that's, this is the part that I love being able to kind of clear up these things because there's so many times where People for decades have thought, oh, I know the facts because some person one time posted on something. And I'm like, with you right. here, we're talking to somebody who was in the room with the producers, with mm. Britney, who was involved in these things. So Me Against the Music, it's getting started. It's kind of percolating. And what I loved is, like you said, you as a, an artist yourself, too, is no one knows what that album is going to look like. You're just looking for those hits, kind of seeing what what sticks and Britney at the time, she was at that, where is she going to go next? She can't go back to this Swedish pop thing. If she's going to keep going, where is she going to go? So I think with well, this... Well, we, made, we did make the jump initially with uh, with the Neptunes off the prior mm -hmm. album, you know, uh, with um, Slave For You and Boys. You know, we kind of made that, that jump away from the Swedish sound. And I, I'll reiterate, we didn't make the jump. I would never have let Max get away that easily. It was, yeah. it was, you know, Max Martin, uh, it was Max, uh, you know, and uh, his crew who is basically Max who, 
you know, who've, who felt that he had sort of run its course, you know, mm-hmm. his, his uh, input had run its course or his style at the time had run its course. Of course, he was, you know, very soon after to, to morph into a different style, you know, a, mm-hmm. away from the, uh, the Swedish, you know, the pure Swedish thing that we know and love. But at the time he felt like he was in a bit of a, a gray zone, if you like. And he, he didn't mm-hmm. know exactly which direction he wanted to go. He just knew that the sound he'd spent the last you know, four years, five years having worldwide hits with was now kind of part of his past, you know, and uh, he was looking to move on. Um, so the the Neptunes played an important part in that because they helped bridge the gap, if you like, or to move or to move the it's move the needle from the clean, squeaky clean Swedish um, mm-hmm. pure pop sound into something more American and something more, you know, hip hop influenced. Mm-hmm. And uh and trying to, and they found the, the basically the perfect sort of um, melting pot, if you like, between between those two genres. Oh, where yeah. it was still pop enough to to appeal to to Britney's audience, mm-hmm. but it still then it started to get an edge in there, became a little bit more sexual, which is which is to do with Britney, you know, pushing the envelope herself. Um, the the label never once said. Britney get more sexual or tried to make her more sexual. That's another fallacy. That didn't come from us. In fact, quite the reverse. We were kind of scared of it going of it going too far in that direction. And it was Britney who was pushing it, which she has every right to do. But mm-hmm. it's a fallacy and a uh, and a, a wrong theory to think that it's the label forcing these issues because that's not true. Well, and there were so many people over the years who have said whether it was music video directors, whether it was costumes stylists, who said. You know, when they, they said, we're going to do this, label's like, that's great. And then Britney's like, you know what? No, let's go this way. That right. many of the people came forward and they were like, Britney Spears, by trying to make Britney Spears seem like she was this helpless puppet, mm-hmm. kind of is an insult to her. Right. It is. That, that, that's, she, it is. It is. It certainly is. Remember when she did the um, the uh, Rolling Stone issue, the cover of Rolling oh, yep. Stone? And it had With a David LaChapelle. Tinky uh, Winky or t- the Teletubby? With, with the Teletubbies, yeah. And it, and she was laying there in sort of, you know, scantily dressed on her back and everything. We never saw that until it was done, until 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 they were uh, decided that this is the, the cover they're going for between Larry Rudolph and Brittany. They decided this out of all the photos, this is what they wanted, that they approved to Rolling Stone. And we got it in the office and it was like, holy sh**, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is such a good idea, you mm-hmm. know, folks. When you're talking about like working with these producers, these songwriters, you can get it where it's not a confusing, I want it more Prince-like or yeah. less Prince-like. I want right. it where, what does that, what does that yeah, mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then you see, then you say, okay, you know, I want it more Prince-like. Can we have like a bit more of that James Brown guitar in there? Or can we have like a, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, you know, you mentioned the type of, you know, the Lindrum drum machine as opposed to an Oberheim or, or, you know, can we have electronic bass as opposed to a, you know, a natural you know, string bass, you know, there's all there's and then they say, okay, yeah, let's try that. Now they might not agree with you all the time. They might say, you know, you're fucking whack. That's a terrible idea, you know, but they'll give you the time of day to get, to get the suggestion out. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, they'll try it. And again, sometimes they'll like it. And other times they won't. Sometimes I'll like it. And sometimes I won't. just because I suggest it doesn't make it right. You know, I suggest it because I think I'm opening up a conversation about something that I think is not quite right in the song. And so we open up a discussion about it. And that's that's what it is. It's usually a, some sort of discussion between the producer, the artist and myself. 
See, I love that. And when we go back to even like this early version of Me Against the Music, for those who might not know, that early version, there was a lot of key elements that stayed the same for the final one. This wasn't a complete rewrite. But Penelope Magnet had a rap solo in there, which hearing it, I was like, this is awesome because it totally brought that song to a different place. And when you hear, for the listeners, if you don't know that version of it, but if you hear Penelope's rap, you get where the tones and textures of Britney's voice were coming from and inspired by. They were like peanut butter and jelly. They went (laughs) so well together. Sorry for people, not allergies, but they went so well together. So how did you feel when you heard Penelope's rap on there? Because many people say, oh, the label didn't like it, so they removed it. Let's talk about this. No, no, no. Let's talk about this. Well, I don't know about what the what my instructions were from above once we got uh once we got madonna involved whether you know like oh yeah take that out now we don't need it or this other i can't remember those discussions but i remember when i first heard her you know rapping and her her singing on there how what a great um texture and and uh and context it put britney in it's a it really helped her it what it did it, it brought like an earthiness like a uh, mm-hmm. just a little bit of dirt in there you know mm-hmm. which but it wasn't so much that it was kind of, that it was x-rated or anything like that it's mm-hmm. just like a little bit like just a little bit hey this is two o'clock in the morning it's not nine o'clock at night you know mm-hmm. had a little bit of that really late night early morning vibe to everything that Penelope did and Brittany you know bought into that and just ran with it you can hear it in a voice on on so many of the tracks you know the red zone tracks especially on the uh you know on the in the zone album you can hear britney she sounds like a nightclub girl you know because that's what she mm-hmm. was at that point yeah and she was being able to base. between her and uh you know penelope who was like a sister during the recording of this thing they, they you know they just came out like that it was a perfect mesh so for those who don't know this version of it i loved it and so much so that even when and i started pulling dates because this is something that I want people to realize. Madonna being brought in wasn't months and months in advance. This was a matter of like a month, everything yeah. happened from the VMAs. And we're going to talk about the VMAs and everything. But Britney had performed the NFL kickoff concert on September 4th. And she did a version of Me Against the Music. And you could hear Penelope Magnet's M-A-G-N-E-T mad <laughs> part in there. So that was the original. So people are like, wait, did I hear some of it? You did, but days before was when the VMA performance happened with Madonna, Brittany, and Christina, and that was August 28th. And a little bit background of that, because Steve, you were there at the the rehearsals, things like that. You you yes, were sir. in New York too, which was amazing, because this everything that happens in New York, it's like, well, you live right there, so of course you're gonna yeah. be there. Yeah. But a couple background things with that is, we all know it was Christina, Brittany, Missy Elliott, and Madonna. Yeah. But over the years, we found out that there were other women that were going to be involved. Some of them were in there. Pink was asked to be involved. Gwen Stefani, JLo, all these people have acknowledged that they were asked at one point or another, that it was really, once again, the 11th hour when they were trying to figure out who's going to make it work. And to me, it felt obvious to even have like the, the four, five women I said, if they were all on stage, it made the most sense because it was that next generation right, of performers right. who all have said, Madonna had an influence on them. And with Britney and her success, Britney's success was the sonics and the visuals, her performances. And that was such a Madonna thing. So 
Let's rewind back. Brittany gets asked to be a part of the VMAs. And they, of course, have rehearsals. Rehearsals are not, they just happen an hour before the show. So talk to us about how that kind of happens. What's the VMA rehearsal like? Do they do it once? Who's involved? That sort of thing. Like, how does that work with such a tight-knit group of people? Right. Well, uh, I was only there, I think, for the for the Britney section of their rehearsals. So I don't know how the whole thing went in general. But with regards to, to that, um, you know, it was like, 10 people in the audience, you know, just sort of scattered around in business types of which I embarrassingly call myself a business type at that point. I was the A&R <laughs> guy. And so I was watching it. Um, and it, it was a fascinating experience because first of all, you know, Madonna was fashionably late, you know, there was, and I, and, and so was Missy, if I believe, if, if I'm correct. But, um, but when it at last kicked off, it's, I never realized how small Madonna was. She's like mm-hmm. tiny. She's like mm-hmm. tiny. She's not like bigger than Britney. It's just that her her whole vibe is like big mm-hmm. and sort of like yep. and, and and domineering. So when she came out, it was like they'd already started like a little bit of the rehearsals about who's going to do what. And then Madonna shows up and she walks in off the side stage and it was like, whoa. Like I sort of, you know, it was kind of a little scary to be honest. I mean, there was Madonna mm-hmm. and, and she walks in and, uh, you know, I'm sort of what? you know, twice, three times her age, God knows how, how much I am. And I was still scared of this girl. You know, she, she sort of walked out and I, as soon as she walked up to the mic and started talking, you know, to the, to the producers and the stage people, it was like, I started sliding down in my chair. I had the feeling that at one point she was going to like point at me and go, who is that? You know, get that man out of here. <laughs> it just, just had that sort of vibe about her. So mm-hmm. I was trying to like, you know, lurk in the shadows of my chair. But the interesting thing is that the person who was doing the sound, the live sound on that day, is this guy called Mark Spike Stent, who is okay. a who was one of her producers and uh and engineers back in England. Madonna's producers mm-hmm. and engineers back in England. And she'd brought him over to do the live sound. And he doesn't do live sound, that's not what he does. And he was always like, and, and I met him for the first time. Then he was like, I don't know what the f- I'm doing. You know, like I'm like a safety net. That's all I am. I don't do anything. You know, and he's, re- he's really funny. But when she was, when Madonna was rehearsing, she would, she would, oh God, and this is going to sound really horrible. But, uh, but you know, that sort of voice, which kind of sounds like a, I don't know. I won't say the witch word. I didn't say it. I didn't. But it sounds like, um, it sounds like a, uh, like shrill is the only way I could say it. She would, she would be off mic and she'd be going, Mark, Mark, Spike, Spike. Like until he came to the microphone, he'd say, yeah, what's By the way, you could just say Midwestern because that's my accent right there. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't even thinking. Uh, no, you sound, you trust me, you don't sound shrill. You know, she was like, whenever something was wrong or there's something she wanted to take care of, Spike, Spike. And it was kind of uh, annoying to be honest. Anyway, so. So Brittany was there being her usual sort of like, you know, what do you want me to do, y'all? You know, type mm-hmm. of uh, Southern girl. And uh, Christina was just hanging around like she was bored, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, Missy Ellett was nowhere to be seen. She was a late show. Was there any interaction between Christina and Brittany? Because hop on out for a second. If you're enjoying this, please make sure you rate us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And don't forget to join me on Instagram, the.original.doll, or check out the website, theoriginaldoll.com. Back to the show. 
was there any interaction between Christina and Brittany? Because we know that they were, you know, co-stars on Disney, but at that point, the media had pinned them against each other right the whole time like you couldn't bring yeah. one up without mentioning the yeah, other there, there was there was some angst you know even okay. though they don't uh admit it. i don't know if there was any on that night i don't know i i'm not claiming to have seen any on that yeah. night but i know in general yeah there was a mm -hmm. friction between the two of them um you know which was born i guess originally from you know jealousy competition all those things don't think it was anything more than that um mm -hmm. I mean, I do have one story which i'm not going to tell but this is <laughs> was that uh what's going on the video shoot no, no, that was a whole oh. different thing. That was that was where Christina didn't make too many friends all round. That was nothing to do with Britney, but got it. She was rude to me and rude to quite a lot of other people, and just mm. rather self-important. And let's put it this way: when the door closed and she was on the other side of it, um, the room burst out in a round of hand hand claps. So, in a round Thanks. of applause when she left, which is mm -hmm. not a good sign, you know. If, mm -mm. So in this in the rehearsals, yeah, so they were trying to get the timing right there, you know, with the music and when they were going to do the kissing episode. And, you know, it's all part of the choreography. And what you have to remember about Madonna is that first and foremost, I think she considers herself to be a dancer, like a trained dancer. Mm -hmm. So with her, it's all about timing. It was a chore it was a choreographed move in, in order to work in with the song. So, I remember telling either Brittany or Larry Rudolph that this is after the rehearsal. I said, this is, this is your chance. This is because every, at that point, every uh, VMA had a VMA moment where everybody went, Ooh, that's, you know, that's the moment. Mm -hmm. And I recognized that this could be the moment as everybody else did, I guess, you know, with, with the kiss. I said, if you really want to shock her, you know, then Brittany's got to, she's, she's got to like give her a kiss that she's not expecting, you know, like, Something hold is on that to that. Just kiss a little on, peck. Like, yes, instead of a peck, just like go in for it a little bit more and hold on to Madonna tighter and for longer, so that it actually mm. interrupts her 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 choreography and her timing. Because in in Madonna's mind, she's going to okay, go one, two, three, four, two, yeah. two. You know, like a dancer does, and she's she's doing everything on the beat to try and make it move so she can get into the next move. So if you just take it out of that sequence, it's going to kind of shock her a little bit. And it's going to be what I believe to be like the passing of the torch, like Britain is in control of the moment. And she is now, if you like, the new Madonna. You know, now, she, obviously, she's never going to be the new Madonna. They're two mm -hmm. totally separate yeah. people and two worthy people in their own rights. But, mm -hmm. but this is a way that in a competition, you would say, OK, this is how I this is how I end up with the gold medal. And she ends up with the silver, you know, mm -hmm. so. Um, and. All the time we were expecting, I was hoping that, that Christina was going to end up with the bronze medal, you know, like which in fact she did. So that became like a huge moment, obviously, when they did that kiss and everyone got the, the screenshots of them kissing and uh, it was kind mm -hmm. of open mouth. I don't know if I had anything to do with it. I did make the suggestion, but like, I don't know. I can't mm -hmm. say I did or didn't. After all the hullabaloo about, uh, about this kiss, and it was on the front page of all the newspapers and everything. I remember Brittany coming up to my office in New York. She was in my office. And I said, how about all this shit that's going on? And she was going, what shit? She's like, this is Brittany. You know, this is really Brittany. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm saying the kiss on the VMAs. She's going, what do you mean? I'm saying, well, there's so much like publicity about it. Yeah, really? Mm -hmm. Excellent. You know, she was like kind of, 
that's great, y'all. You know, like totally mm -hmm. <laughs> oblivious to what was going on. And this is you know, the same same kind of reaction she had when people were surprised when she got married in in uh, in, Los, in, uh, in Las Vegas for that, you know, for that mm -hmm. for those twenty four hours, whatever. The same type of blank face. What are you talking about? <laughs> It's awesome. So anyway, um, by the way, that is a common theme amongst everyone who's worked with her. That yeah. oblivious to, which is good. Some of that that yeah. static outside well, if, because if there's, a, if there's a gene, if there's a gene that that dictates, you know, your awareness of other people's opinions of you, Britain is missing it. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't have that gene. Mm -hmm. It's not in her. No, it's not in her gene pool, as we see now with with her with her videos. She she just hey. Good luck to her. She she does everything to, to her own beat. That's it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so when she came up to the office and we were, um, and I and I had the it was on a VHS in those days on the tapes. So I stuck the, the the tape in. It was the actual broadcast that was on there, not the rough footage, but the the, the live broadcast. And and it was great. I said you got to see this. So I played it for her, and she came in, and there was a kiss with Madonna. It was like ooh. Then they cut away to to Justin. And Justin's there with his mouth open because they had broken up just prior to that, I believe, or something. Mm -hmm. And yep. he was like, oh, like his mouth was open, like, like what? And everyone read too much into that, of course, because, you know, but, but like they, you know, he was there with a shocked look on his face. And then they cut back and, and they cut back to Christina. And that was it for like a split second. Mm -hmm. So, so I said, I want you to see this again. So. I put it back. I mean, I rewound and played it, and I and I said, I said, first of all, look at look at Justin's face. She went, fuck yeah, and jumped up and down like you know, <laughs> pumping her fists in the air, like the fact that he was annoyed about it. That was that was, you know, I didn't say why. It was kind of seemed mm -hmm. to be pretty obvious. And then I said, but more than that, look at, look at when um, Madonna kisses Christina. So I played it, and she says she didn't kiss her. I said, you got it. That's it. They cut away to Justin just when Christina was kissing uh, Madonna. Uh, Madonna. So you never mm -hmm. saw Christina kissing no. Madonna. So she never had her little, M you know, VMA moment. And, mm -hmm. uh, and Brittany was even more pleased about that than the, than the look on Justin's face. So the VMAs happen. Then at this time, Brittany discusses with Madonna about being a part of a song, being a part of me against the music, ultimately. And mm -hmm. as we learned in the, the previous episode, it was still really up in the air as to what the rollout was going to be of singles in general. And this is still at the right. time, for those listeners who don't know, usually at this point, late 90s, early 2000s, you kind of knew the lead single and you kind of had a good idea as to what the second one was going to be because that would be during the promotion. She's going to be going on tour. All these things happen. All of those stars have to align. The amount of live performances she did was insane. And this time around, what was great is in the zone, Britney did promo stops at clubs, which I thought was, yeah. Yeah. it's Britney out all night. This is in the zone. Yeah. yeah. But the Palms in Vegas. To your point, Britney yeah. made a club album. Madonna gets added in. When did you figure out, okay, we're going to do this, but also we have about like 20 minutes to make this happen. Like, <laughs> That's how quickly 20 it was. minutes to launch, put a slide yep. on this thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, we didn't. We're, the company, as I've explained in uh, in the other episode of Done With You, which I really hope people go to, to see the outrageous versus toxic versus me against the music episode. 
um, because I go into great detail then about mm-hmm. you know the, the the fight for what should be the first single and what should be the second single, and it's really a fascinating behind the scene look at how a record company works and how the creative people work, you know, within that within that uh, framework, and also how the artist gets their voice heard without yelling and screaming. So mm-hmm. you you really ought to check out that episode. So uh, I'll give a short version of it here. The when we this album is a difficult one to make. In the zone was difficult to make because we were changing direction um, quite considerably, and I was going out on a limb trying to make it more electronic and just a bit more club oriented, but without being out and out dance music. Didn't want to lose our audience totally. There were still pop songs, you know, in essence. Mm-hmm. Um, but just wanted to get. We just wanted to go somewhere else and somewhere a bit different. And I'm not sure that the my the hierarchy at the label totally understood the vision. You know, um, let's, let's put it this way: they understood it. I just think they were very nervous about it. You mm-hmm. know, oh, this is going to sell. You know, they because they didn't have uh, the Swedish you know group and they didn't have uh, the Neptunes there. And I was bringing in Red Zone, and they were going, "Who's you know Red Zone? Well, mm-hmm. That's out of left field." You know, and then there was K and S, you know, and then there was a bunch of other people like, you know, doing random stuff. And it was like, whoa, you know, Bloodshine Avant, you know, who the label said, oh, they're B level, aren't they? B level Swedish people compared to Max. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you don't get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, anyway, the, um, it was that time in Britney's career, recorded career, and the label was understandably nervous. And so, you know, we weren't sure what to go with the first single. And at that point, we only had me against the music with, you know, with uh, Penelope on it. There was no no Madonna. That wasn't even a thought when we first recorded it. There's a bunch of other stuff. And um, and as I explained in this episode, other episode, how the label didn't actually want Toxic to be on the album, let alone be so the crazy. second single. That's a whole different story. <laughs> Go to that episode. Um, but the um, uh, so there was a lot of hand wringing, like, what the hell are we going to do? What are we doing? What direction are we going in? all this corporate sort of, you know, nervousness. So, you know, Brittany and I wanted Me Against the Music because we thought, you know, it was kind of a cool track. It said it kind of epitomized the rest of the record in some way. You know, it's a club record. It said, here I am, we're in the club. This is getting a little dirty now. You know, like, stay with me, folks. Here I go. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good in that way. But it it wasn't, you know, I don't think any of us thought it was a number one hit record. It wasn't a smash mm-hmm like baby one more time or, you know, any of those. So, and I don't remember whose idea it was to have Madonna on. It wasn't my idea. I, I can't claim credit for that. It might've been Larry Rudolph, you know, maybe mm-hmm. he knew somebody who knew somebody or something in the Madonna camp. I really don't know. But when the idea came up, it was like, yes, that's it. As far as me and Brittany were concerned, he said, that's it. Cause now we have a reason for the first single other than just being a hit record. It's now a marketing mm-hmm. record. It's a hit record in a marketing way. It gets people after two years or whatever it is off the off the scene. You know, yep. Brittany comes back. This is like a hey, people, I'm still here. Look at me. This is you know a league mm-hmm. now. This is this is, you know. So take take notice. And it was one of those. And um, and I think it was really good for that. So when Madonna came in and put her vocals on, to be honest with you, it doesn't matter if she sounded good or not. And I personally didn't care. One, mm-hmm. I one. There's nothing I could have done to change it because Madonna yeah. would never go back in the studio to to redo mm-hmm. something for you. So that was out of the question. So you have to kind of go with what you've got and make up your mind with what you have. And uh, you can only 
paint with the colors that are on the you know <laughs> on the board there you can't do anything else so you got this this song and the the great plus was that it was a huge marketing opportunity for us and it gave us a reason to have that as a first single then we could argue about the second single as that came up so it's kind of fly fly by your pants it was a an 11th hour you know uh decision and everyone this is what's crazy so august 28th was the vmas and discussion of madonna collaborating would have been around that time the video the music video was shot october 8th so it was a matter of six weeks that it was, and the video can't yeah. be recorded until the, the vocals were recorded. Right. So right. all this happened, and then it hit radio right around the same time because I actually pulled up radio database information, of and radio stations where that's me. Radio <laughs> stations started playing it October second, so it was being played and leaked on the radio before the music video was even made. So I thought when we talk about this, it's like, and you don't have somebody who. Madonna didn't have a free schedule. She was still promoting her American Life album. She was promoting her children's book at the time, right. traveling everywhere. So this is a fellow icon who is all over the world promoting their own stuff that they can only yeah. give. We hear these stories now where it's like, you're given about an hour in the studio with this artist because right, right, they have to yeah. go take their jet somewhere else. Right, so yeah. go. But it happened so quickly. So then let me ask well, Madonna, you this. So, Madonna's, no, okay. Madonna's no fool because, you know, I think at this point, Britney was was kind of more in the public eye than Madonna was uh, in terms of uh, being a pop star. Her sales, you know, arguably better worldwide. And she was definitely front page news and Madonna, not so much so. And, you know, Madonna was already an icon. She had that over mm -hmm. Britney, I guess. Um, so they both had something massive to gain from this. And mm -hmm. in, in uh, you know, giving credit to both sides, I mean, they both saw that but this is a win-win here if we do it. So, you know, that's, and, the reason, that's the reason Madonna would make time out of a busy schedule to do it. It wasn't just to do Britney a favor. It's because it, it really favored herself. It was a symbiotic relationship. It exactly, helped yeah. both of them. And at the time, and we talked to radio programmers before, is there is a definite time off for women on radio after a certain age. Madonna yeah. being well into her 40s, you're not being played next to you know nowadays it wouldn't be like you don't hear britney spears as often on the radio next to billy eilish and olivia rodrigo no, no right you know and so that's something that that helped and elevated but i also loved it because prior to that madonna was wearing and she would say like complimentary things about britney spears and so many of these other these other artists because mm. these artists say that their career britney talks about mtv really had the influence on her the music, the visuals, and go, go. Then the Princess of Pop comes out, and she makes a career doing that—not the exact same thing, but being able to utilize the sonics and the visuals and right. those performance moments. She never had to tour all these crazy things because people were buying into the image just based on those performances, which is yeah, what MTV those took a, are. took the place of a lot of a lot of touring. So mm -hmm. where some oh, yeah. acts they had to go and burn up the road and hotel rooms you know for for nine months in a row by the time britney came on the scene just three months on the on mtv was enough to uh to yep. elevate her to the same spot there you go so then now looking at this looking at kind of 20 years later 20 plus years later looking at it how do you feel this kind of 
played a part in the continuation of Britney's career? Not just like that moment I was number one here or went gold here, but how do you think it played a part in the furthering of Britney's career? Because she still had Toxic was a mega hit, which you hardly ever see where the second single completely outshines the first single. Right. You know, like right. not that it doesn't happen, but how do you put that into place of how important was this song for Britney's career in that moment? Hopping up for a quick second to remind you, if you are enjoying this, check out those other episodes with so many great songs and iconic artists and iconic moments. And don't forget to rate us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. It truly helps. We're going to get right to this. Big shout out to my Patreon supporters. You all rock. Thank you for the listeners. Because of you, we keep going on. Back to the show. How important was this song for Britney's career in that moment? It was, as I said, it was it was really important because it... It was the first, it was like a flag raiser, if you like. It was it was Britney raising the flag and saying, here I am, I'm going to the next place. You know, are you joining me? You know, falling behind, I'm going there. Mm-hmm. You know, so, and I think that's the that's the difference I made. And the whole album was like that, to be honest with you. You know, Me Against the Music happened to be the first single, but the whole album was, it was a bridge to the next part of her life. It was, it was, it was a really creative bridge and a necessary and a dangerous bridge. I might add, because mm-hmm. so many, so many artists have tried to cross that bridge from from being that teen idol into being something substantial and and long lasting and iconic, and they've fallen off that bridge into the you know shark infested waters beneath, and they disappear for life. That didn't happen with Britney, you know, and I'm and I'm I'm so proud of the, the fact I was, you know, part to do with that, you know, to help her do that. Um, because we've seen it happen so many times with teen artists when they just fallen off that bridge, you know, and Brittany didn't, Brittany ran across that bridge, you know, all, you know, hands raised, like she's going to the next place. Um, and you know, everyone has their opinions about the first part of Brittany's career and the second part and which one was better and everything. And that's great because everyone has their own opinions on, on, mm-hmm. on, on what music is about, depending on your age and your generation and your musical taste, oh, yeah. et cetera. But I don't think there's one thing you can uh, you can question, and that's that "In the Zone" was the album that that took her from from A to B, or A to C, whatever it is. You know, it was it was the it was the bridge. There you go. And everyone, don't worry, we have more with Steve coming up very soon because we've gone through almost every single album and all so many songs, and we have a lot more to go through. But as I usually ask you, three words, Steve. If you could think of just three words, I hate this that part. you would connect <laughs> that you would connect. I hate this with me against the music. What are those three words you would use right now? Um, okay, my words would be um, energetic, liberating, and oh, do I have to come up with a third? Can I just go with two? You're going to be like a synonym: energetic, full of energy. I'm like Steve. Yeah. That's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's funny I, if i were you it would have been like oh you want three words in the zone <laughs> there you go <laughs> oh i should have done that damn it uh so yeah a third word what's the third word defiant Ooh, i like those three words there you go see i love this and now steve is gonna forget again when we talk again i'll ask him the same question what are those three words he's like and I forgot that yeah, you asked I know. me that. <laughs> I love it. The only reason you ask me is because you know I'm going to forget. 100%. 100%. Next thing you know, I see a post-it note on your screen that's like, oh, three <laughs> words. 
I love it. All right. Well, Steve, thank you so much for joining us again today on Me Against the Music. One last question that I'm going to put as a little bonus question in here is something we like doing is clarifying things and making sure we get all the stuff right. There were so many people who said, I know for a fact I Got the Boom Boom was going to be a single right off the bat. Was I Got the Boom Boom ever even in consideration to get a single treatment? Um, not that I'm aware of, no. Um, I, I personally would have pushed for it. And I might have well done uh, at some point um, because I happen to think that was is a really cool record. I love that. And the Yin Yang Twins are like awesome. And we'll be talking about that song in a future episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I won't say too much now, but no, I don't think that was that was really in a, in a, a discussion in, in a major way. But I would have been definitely for it. There you go. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on The Original Doll. I appreciate it. Me too. Thanks a lot, James. Original Doll.